This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode number 344, recorded Thursday, November 2nd, 2017. That's right, 344. We are inching closer to 350. 350 already. That, I know. It, it, it's like it was just yesterday we were doing number 100. Yep. <laughs> and I thought Good that, times. I thought that was a big number. It is a big number. <laughs> well, yeah. But here we are approaching 350. So that'll happen this season. Uh, anyways, thanks for tuning in, everybody. This is our feedback episode for the latest episode of The Walking Dead. First of all, though, I want to remind everyone now that it is officially November, we are doing our Talking Dead November charity drive. And I don't think I'm going to talk about this on every podcast we record during the month of November, because that'll be a lot. But maybe I'll just stick to the the main episode uh, recaps or something like that. But because it's now officially November, it's the second, I just want to remind everyone that we're doing this. Uh, we're collecting, we're taking all the money we collect from our Amazon affiliate links this month and donating it to, to uh, the Canadian Cancer Society at the end of the month. So if you want to get in on that, visit talkingdeadpodcast.com slash Amazon and click one of those flags there for the country store of your choice when you do your shopping at Amazon. You know, and I know you're going to be because it's leading up towards the holidays. So people do some shopping uh, or um, what's that? What are that thing they do in the States? Uh, Black Friday's coming Black up. Black Friday after Thanksgiving. Yeah. Right. So make sure you do some of that Black Friday, Cyber Monday shopping on the Amazon and uh, you'll be contributing to a good cause. So I, I told my wife about the, uh, the leisure suits and the uh, disco dirt bag. Uh, Afro and mustache. Yeah. And uh, now she had uh, mentioned that now she has some Christmas ideas for me. Well, finally, that's great. <laughs> yeah. One size fits all. That ought to be fun. <laughs> that ought to be really fun. Can't wait to see some pictures of that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, talkingdeadpodcast.com slash Amazon. And, uh, you know, the little cut of your purchase that comes our way during the month of November will go straight to the Canadian Cancer Society. And uh, you'll be supporting a good cause. All right. Well, this is our feedback show, and we often talk about the ratings for the most recent episode before we get into the listener feedback. And if you recall back to last week, Jason, we found out that season eight, episode one had 11.44 million viewers, which was a significant drop from the season seven premiere and, of course, even the season uh, seven finale. It was their lowest premiere in a while, but season eight, episode two, do you think it went up or down? I think it went up to 11.79. Well, I'm afraid, my friend, you would be incorrect. It oh. actually went down. Oh. And, and boy, did it go down. Season, 37? Did it go down to 37? It had 37 viewers. It's the most <laughs> significant drop in the history of of television. No, actually it went down to 8.92. Oh. Eight. Ouch. Like under nine. That's the lowest of any episode since season two. Season, oh, the man. season two finale had 8.99 and we didn't even 
get to that. They, so they burned down a barn in the at that in that episode. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they burned Jeez. down a barn. Herschel had a magic shotgun. There were zombies yep. all over the place. Uh, Jimmy yeah. died in the RV. Remember? I think that was wasn't uh, Jason from uh, the Walking Dead cast in that episode. He was. He was a zombie on screen in that one. He was behind a fence, reaching for Rick as he Rick yeah. came around, or I think climbed down off the RV. So, but man, season two, eight. Uh, it's been that long. I mean, in last week's episode or this week's episode, at eight point nine two million. So, it's still a huge number, but really has to be. You got to think that's disappointing for the what the walking dead has been doing you know for the last few years yeah that it, that must be very disappointing amc executives are probably starting to get a little nervous over there like people are just not tuning in as much gail uh is probably at home drinking scotch shot after shot and chasing that with uh, tequila <laughs> trying to drown her sorrows right 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 and then she's probably worrying about the ratings after that yeah, well maybe not so much she oh, probably, yeah. you know, is after that she'll feel uh, low enough that she'll get in into her swing pool full of money and go, well, I guess I won't have a hot tub full of money after this as well. Only the <laughs> swimming pool will have to do. <laughs> It'll have to do. What what can you say? <laughs> All right. Well, we'll we'll see where next week goes. Um, I I don't know. I I also feel like the reaction to the first two episodes has been a little bit. More on the not-so-positive side, that would be to say the negative side, but let's get into our feedback and, and see where it goes. What do you think? Sure. I like this idea. All right. Here we go. Listener feedback. All right. Well, let's start with an email from Kevin in Chicago. Kevin writes, did I enjoy this episode? Did it move the plot forward with tension and suspense? No. And yes. Yes and no. And then finally... Yes to both. <laughs> awesome. That, of course, is an Ezekiel quote from the episode when he's talking to Carol. He basically says that. I think that was during his fake it till you make it baby speech. Yep. So uh, That's what you got to do. You do. I mean, it's been working for me so far. Yep. That's good. I'm not quite sure right, I no. made it yet, but still faking it. <laughs> good. Good, good, good. All right. Next, we have an email from Andy in quite chilly UK. Wow, what a crap episode. Oh. How did they manage to make such an action-packed episode feel so empty and vacant? I'm really starting to feel like I'm watching a completely different show than the one I loved. It's a real shadow of its former self in my eyes. I hope it can pull itself back together with the remaining episodes in this half of the season. Uh, I wonder if these episodes are supposed to be so wham-bam because they are simply trying to even out the numbers. After all, uh, the ending of season six through season seven, they established that the saviors as such an om omnipotent force that I guess for a war to be tense, both sides <clears throat> have to be more equally balanced. So, well, I don't know. First of all, quite chilly UK sounds like it could actually be the name of a place. Where are you from? Very well, good. Yeah. Where are you from? Quite chilly in, in the UK. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. Andy is saying... Are, yeah, are they just trying to reduce the Savior's numbers a little bit to make this war feel more fair on both sides? I, the thing I think about that is if they are, they're not doing a great job because, it, I mean, yeah, they're killing some Saviors, but also it seems like there's lots of them around that they're not killing, if you know what I mean? Yeah, I think uh, we're seeing uh, our group of uh, survivors uh, on the offensive 
and we get the impression that they're uh, they're killing a lot of uh, a lot of the save, uh, saviors, but uh, only you know one or two of our guys. Uh, let's see, one, two are dead, probably, and one is shot. Uh, and I think what's going to happen in the next episode or next episodes is that after this feeling of uh, wow, we probably are winning, that we're going to see. Uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of saviors come out of the woodwork and uh, really be uh, scary, a scary sight to behold. Yeah, maybe. And don't forget, we've got the scavengers at the junkyard too. Just for, yeah, for, we haven't seen those guys at all. Right. They're, for now, they're just hanging around, I assume, back at their, their junkyard. They double-crossed us. They turned on us. So, yep. uh, And by us, I mean, you know, Rick and everybody. Uh, so they're technically the enemy too you know they can't just turn around and be fighting against the saviors now so yeah i don't know i don't know what's going to happen the other thing is we've had two episodes which seem to have taken place all on the same day and it's been like you said our team on the offensive the whole time uh and and really pretty successfully on the offensive but i do think episode two by the end of it a lot of our sort of primary characters were starting to show cracks a little bit. You know, Rick found a baby and ran into Morales and um, Morgan is sort of gone crazy. Tara and Jesus are at odds with each other. So, you know, things aren't quite holding up as well as they used to be. And I think, well, I, I suspect that episode three is going to start to get into that kind of stuff a little bit more. And um and show that, you know, we aren't going to be winning the whole time this season. No, I, I really don't think so. So, uh, all right, next up is Sam on the internet. Sam writes, I had a thought about why Dwight sent Rick and Daryl to this outpost, which supposedly had guns. I think Dwight knew the guns weren't there, but he knew that the baby was there. Him sending Rick and Daryl there in hopes uh, they find the baby so they can start to question, should we really be killing all of these people? Rick seems to have a moment of who am I when he sees the baby and himself in the mirror. That's true. He sure does. Um, and the baby, I, you know, I don't know that Dwight would sort of think it through <laughs> to that extent. He's like, I'm going to tell them there's guns, but instead there's a baby and they're going to get there and realize that maybe killing people isn't a good idea because of the baby. Uh, I don't mean to oversimplify it, but <laughs> that's sort of what's uh, going on. Yeah, it really, uh, Dwight could really know that there's a baby there and that's why he sent him there. He could, but I think our next emailer has a really interesting theory on the baby, if you want to read uh, this one. Uh, yeah, it's uh, emails from uh, Austin in Kitchener, Ontario. Apologize, apologies if this seems absolutely batshit crazy, but my running theory is that the baby Gracie is in fact Negan's daughter. Whoa. Ba Based off season seven, we know that Negan has multiple wives and that given that the doctor's visit we witnessed with Dwight's former wife, pregnancy is definitely a possible, possible outcome of married life to Negan. Seeing as how Dwight's instructions to Rick and company to head to this exact location, and since Dwight has been reliable as of late, I theorize, theorize that he is discre he, he discreetly led them to even larger advantage with a cache of weapons, not only with a cache of weapons, but Negan's only weakness, his infant daughter. 
It would also make some sense for Negan to want his daughter raised off-site away from the center of possible future chaos. This will likely all be proven wrong in the next episode, but I would find it a humanizing change to the uh, humanizing change of pace for Negan as he was brought to Neil by Rick having control over him, uh, the one thing he truly loves. Yeah, okay, so so Austin said that Dwight was leading Rick and company there uh, not for a cache of weapons, but for something even more important, the Negan's daughter. Yeah, so send them there uh, promising weapons, uh, but giving them a hostage. Hostage, like a massive, massive bargaining chip. If Gracie actually is Negan's daughter and Negan is not the complete heartless bastard that we think he is... Yeah. then suddenly now Rick has this bargaining chip, really, right? Like, I've got your much daughter. Like, uh, much like Theon Greyjoy was sent to the Starks as a hostage. Right. I get confused so, about Game of Thrones. It all blends together. Really? I could explain it all to you if you'd really like. Maybe later. <laughs> okay, so what happens is, uh, if this is Negan's daughter, Gracie, uh, then uh, Rick would raise Gracie to make sure that Negan doesn't get too upstarty. Like, just go and, you know, do your thing, but you leave all these people alone because I got your daughter and I'm raising her and uh, we wouldn't want anything bad to happen to her, would we? No, no, we would not. Yeah. And we know Negan has a thing for children, I think, because he was holding Judith, you know, yep. he he made spaghetti for everybody, uh, or at least Carl. <laughs> and, uh, and so... He, it's, it's possible that he has a daughter and, and I mean, just having her being held somewhere off site or being raised off site from the main sanctuary compound that I think is less likely, but it's explainable the way Austin said it, where he thinks if chaos ensues here, I want her to be safe somewhere else. Um, and then Dwight screwed his plan. So I think it's a really great theory, but like Austin, I don't really think it will probably play out that way, but. It could, and I think it would be kind of fun. It's a fun theory for now. It's a fun theory for now, exactly. We'll find yeah. out in a few days. <laughs> it's what uh, the real it's deal like is. Schrodinger cat Schrodinger's cat box. The theory is both true and untrue until we open the box of next week's episode. There you go. We'll and find the waveform the waveform the wave function collapses. There you go. All right. Well, next we have a call from Patrick on the internet. Hi guys. Uh, I'm actually a huge fan. I just want to say it actually sounds like Patrick's on the bus. <laughs> or next to it. That's great. <laughs> yeah. So here, here's a call from Patrick on the bus. Hi, guys. Uh, I'm actually a huge fan of the Talking Dead podcast. And uh, I actually don't think that um, Judith is going to survive this season. Um, the reason for this is um, baby Gracie has a teddy bear in her cot. And we can see the girl in the dream sequence holding it. So, uh, yeah, I think that that is Gracie grown up. I uh, love your show. Keep up the good work. Thanks. Thank you, Patrick. I hope you get where you're going. And oh, my God. Holy fucking shit. So people picked up on this. Uh, I certainly didn't. But you're right. There is a teddy bear. I think it's actually a bunny rabbit. There's a rabbit in the crib with baby Gracie and apparently the girl the not uh, the um the kid what do you call what's the next stage after toddler uh 
kid. Walker? Walker? <laughs> no. <laughs> we hope not. Anyways. Um, no, the girl that comes, you know, running out to tell Rick, old Rick, in the dream sequence or flash forward or whatever it is, that there, there's a festival outside and they're making a big owl. She's holding that bunny. That doesn't... Well, maybe he steals the bunny for Judith. Fair Come enough. On. Yes, he, he may just take the bunny. It doesn't mean it's her. It doesn't mean that Judith is gone and has been replaced by Gracie, but the bunny's there, or at least it sure looks like the bunny's there. So it's got to mean something. Wow. That would be, uh, well, I'd hate to see Judith die, mm-hmm. right? Not survive this season. Uh, but I think it would be okay for Gracie to survive this season. And, uh, maybe, uh, Gracie's there in the, uh, the flash forward with, uh, with old Rick and, uh, Judith is also there. Like maybe it's, uh, a few uh okay so if gracie is six in the flash forward judith would be eight seven eight yeah seven eight Mm -hmm. she could be just also there right we just didn't see her they could be sharing the bunny rabbit well yeah they could be sharing the bunny rabbit right uh or they could just uh be friends maybe they're friends well that's what i mean I, I, i hope that's the case there are now two girls in the family, not just one. And they share that bunny rabbit. I yeah. mean, it doesn't mean that, that, uh, that Judith is dead. It could, but who knows? It could. And you know, really Rick could take the, the bunny rabbit, go, Hey, I think Judith would really like that bunny rabbit. It's like taking a rabbit from a baby. Exactly. It's easy to do. You take the rabbit and leave the baby. Yes. And don't throw out the baby with the bath water. Don't do that. No, no. <laughs> Okay, so that's an interesting. I didn't pick up on the fact that that bunny rabbit was in the uh, in the flash forward. So that's kind of uh, that's probably the most interesting thing in the whole episode. Well, I don't know about that, but it's definitely <laughs> it's definitely something. And well, I mean, everything else was pretty exciting and and kind of fun, but this is interesting. Yeah, very interesting. It's a bit of a holy crap, actually. Yeah, it's a it's a thinker. It is. It's a thinker. All right, next we have a call from Keith in Northern Ireland. Hi, Chris and Jason. It's Keith from Northern Ireland. Uh, Just listening to your podcast of The Damned. You were saying that whenever Daryl entered a wee room, when he was searching it, searching the building with Rick, whenever he entered that room, that he saw the handcuffs and it reminded him of Merle, and he was all distraught about that. I... Whenever I watched it at first, I got the impression that the wee room just reminded of reminded him of him being locked in the wee room whenever he was fed sandwiches. Or else it might remind him of both, seeing the handcuffs were there as well. Well, until next time, I'm Keith. Thanks, Keith. And uh, yeah, when Daryl was on Easy Street, I, I got to admit, I, I feel like Keith... Uh, is probably correct. He Daryl walks in there, sees like a dog food sandwich or whatever it is, which is what he was eating in yeah. when he was captive. And it happened much more recently. So I'm thinking he probably did project back to that, not back to Merle, but I was too busy yeah. focusing on those handcuffs. I think so. Yeah. Uh, you know, Keith is probably right. And Chris, you were probably wrong. Well, why don't you call me out on these things, man? That's what you're here for. Well, I'm 
I I have a very bad cold and uh, that's still <laughs> hanging around. And uh, quite frankly, I'm pretty stupid lately. You just you just let me go on and on about oh he's probably flashing back to Merle five years ago in season one when he was just held captive on Easy Street and yeah. That's more most likely what it is. So thank you. Uh, Keith, okay, for well I'm gonna call out. you out on trying to shift the blame to me. <laughs> so it's not my fault. <laughs> it's not my fault. You're an idiot. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I am an idiot, but that doesn't alleviate you from also being an idiot. Ah, all right. Well, we'll try to be less idiotic together. Okay. Thanks, Keith, for pointing that out. A few other listeners did too. Um, it sort of was a thing that everyone realized, but me. But that's all right. Michael in London writes, I hate what they are doing with Morgan. I preferred Morgan when he embraced his Aikido training and had a sense of morals, but I'm really disappointed the direction this character is going. I know in an apocalyptic world anything goes, but it was also refreshing seeing someone stick to their morals and their teachings when the rest of the world is falling apart around them. Let's hope he doesn't start clearing again soon. Oh, he's totally going to be clearing again soon. I feel like... They are going that way, he because he he was, you know, he was a survivor. Then he lost his family. He became a clearer. Then he sort of came back from that and swung the other way and went really pacifist and and all life is precious, right? And he didn't want to kill anybody. And he learned the aikido, which is a really useful thing. And that's in a way just kind of went out the window this episode. Oh, now, totally, yeah. Now I do think it shows that Morgan. Um, even though he has those feelings, I think he still does have those all life is precious feelings, but he also realizes that his own life is precious. And sometimes he has to do, ex take extreme measures to, to protect himself and those around him. Right. He shot that guy who was about to shoot Carol. Remember she was injured yep. and she, she, the uh, savior was about to kill her and Morgan stepped up and defended his friend with lethal force. And that's kind of what he's doing here, except they took it to the next level in this episode. And after he got gunned down and, you know, he doesn't believe he can die anymore. He got up and went Terminator on them. So he did. Yeah. All life is precious except for that guy and that guy and that guy over there and these two guys and this other guy. Oh, my gun is empty. I guess life is precious a little bit. Oh, I got another gun. It's okay. That guy's not precious. Yeah. So. It's totally out the window, his all life is precious bullshit. Well, it might not be out the window completely, but he is, he's falling back into clearing Morgan. Uh, it feels like, but this time he's not just targeting the zombies, he's targeting other living humans, which I gotta yeah. say is different, I think. Well, sort of. I mean, they're pre-zombies, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, they could be zombies someday. <laughs> yeah, they're just, they're proto-zombies. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Uh, I agree with Michael, though. It would be nice to see someone stick to their morals for more than like one season, you know, in season, yeah. whatever it was, Morgan was clearing in season six or seven. He was uh, all life is precious, Morgan. And now he's whatever he is now. So Terminator Morgan. He's TM Terminator Morgan. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next, we have an email uh, from Joe on the Internet. The guy. Morgan may have left behind alive. Could he have been turning? Yeah. Um, that's a short and sweet email and not something I, I considered. When I looked at that guy, I'm like, he's alive. I mean, he's about to die, but he's still alive. And Morgan just gets up and walks away. He looked like he was breathing. And from what I understand, zombies don't breathe. 
I believe you're correct in that. And he did look like he was breathing. It's also they're they're very uh, they're they're very clear with the, the the way the eyes change. Right, as soon as the zombie comes back, they always have these sort of opaque white eyes, or you know, they don't have the their your pupils don't burst out as much, kind of right, or they don't show as much. That guy still had his like normal human eyes, if I'm not mistaken. And yeah. so I just don't think he was dead yet. He could have been turning maybe, but I feel like he probably would have made more zombie snarling noises if he had come back already. So I think Morgan has just uh, gone cold and heartless and left that guy there to die. Or you could argue that he didn't realize he was still alive. Yeah. And frankly, what would he have done anyways? Probably just shot him in the head. Shot him in the head. Yeah. Because you wouldn't want him to turn, right? Well, no, because then you've not only have saviors in there, you've got uh, walkers hanging around too. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. All right, Jackie in Croydon, UK writes, So, I have spent seven years defending The Walking Dead to my friends when their fandom has fallen by the wayside, but after season seven, I find I no longer love it as I did, which makes me kind of sad. Having said that, I did enjoy the tension in this episode, which they always seem to do well, but WTF did they do to Jesus? I love his character, and they screwed it up. I assume just so that they could confuse Morgan. That's not good. No. <laughs> confuse Morgan, right? He's supposed to kill everyone, then Jesus says, no, 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 don't kill everyone. We're taking them hostage. <laughs> maybe they got, uh, maybe the writers got Jesus and Morgan mixed up. Well, yeah, Maybe. <laughs> Maybe they just yeah they somebody did a copy replace uh, on the uh, the names in the in the script and nobody noticed until uh, well just now when we pointed it out and all the all the writers are probably going oh shit oh who did that crap that's Scott Gimple again fucking with things <laughs> right it should have been Jesus killing everybody and Morgan going wait 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 all life is precious they were surrendering exactly. yes it does feel like it would make a little more sense. Yeah, okay. So it's a character swap. I guess so. <laughs> Hopefully uh, intentional. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who knows what they're doing. Yeah. All right, next we have an email from Don in Wisconsin. I am so annoyed that the moral uh, moral debate unfolded in the middle of the gun battle in this uh, in this satellite station. Jesus was with the Alexandrians during their murderous assault in the station in season six. He voiced no reservations at the time when the stakes weren't nearly as high as now and killing was more cold-blooded. Please, writers, tell me that we're not going to have this debate or tension all season long. Just kill the bad guys, kill the zombies, save the moral debate for a show with the writers to pull it off. That right. last line stings. Yeah, it's that's <laughs> harsh, man, but... Listen, I am all for moral debate. You, you know, it doesn't always have to be so blatant, right? You you show us the characters struggling with their morals rather than telling us about it. But I agree with Don 100% that the moral debate does not need to unfold in the middle of a gun battle as they are storming this this compound. That's yeah. not that's not when you do it. You don't stop all of a sudden and change your plan. If you go in with the intention of killing everyone, then that's what you do. If you go in with the intention of taking survivors or hostages, that's what you do. Or at least set out those rules ahead of time, right? If someone fires at us, we will return fire. If they walk out with their arms up and their guns on the ground, 
we're not going to execute them. I mean, Jesus just needed to say that in a scene in the forest before they went in. But yeah. I, I do, don't believe that was there. So No, rules of engagement. When you go into battle, you have rules of engagement. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So they did not have those. They had, uh, well, they did, because I think Rick basically said, we got to kill them all. Uh, yeah, that's what, it didn't Rick say that in the, in the, um, when Morgan was imagining the conversation they had back in, in, from season six? Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, so they had some rules of engagement. Jesus decided to change the plan when he got in there and that's yeah. fine. I mean, he's within his rights to do that, but I, I think we needed that foreshadowed a little bit. So uh, Morgan's the only one paying attention. That's basically <laughs> what's happening now. Well, Tara wanted to kill everyone too. She didn't though. No, she didn't, but that's because Jesus kind of went over her helmet, right? Yeah. He, well, yeah, but, you know, why is she listening to him? I don't know. What would Jesus have done if she had just pulled the trigger and shot the guy in the closet? No, nothing, I suppose. Probably not. He probably would have been like, Tara, that was not right. I don't agree bad with Tara. you. Bad Tara. Yeah, bad no. Tara. <laughs> but let's move on, right? He's dead, so let's just keep going. Yeah. Uh, um. But the point is, yes, that moment in the middle of the fight, other, your friends are in danger. They are taking fire and returning fire with the enemy. And you're standing there debating whether they should take this guy hostage. Like, what were they going to do? Just walk out of the building with him? No, yeah, they can't do that. Suddenly they just have this guy who they're trying to get out safely, really. And he's just a liability to them because they have to protect him while they walk out of the building being shot at. So... It was, it was just bad timing and, and poor, I don't know. I don't want to say poor writing, but it should have been presented differently, I think. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, okay, Billy in Scotland writes, Jesus refusing to kill that pishy pants guy left me infuriated. I don't, that's, that's how uh, Billy wrote that sentence, and I don't know if it was a typo or a Scottish thing, so I'm just going to go with it. It could be pissy pants, it could be pishy pants. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. The reason I was so pissed off by this wasn't because they had killed everyone up to this point and the sudden change of heart made no sense. No, no, no. The reason is because the show is now recycling old storylines. This is almost exactly the same as when Tyrese refused to kill Martin from Terminus. And remember how that turned out. The prick wanted to kill Judith and he ate Bob's leg. We have seen this play out before and it didn't end well. Now we are about to see it again. I'm calling it. This guy is going to kill Morgan and it's all going to be Jesus's fault. Yeah. Well, it might be that guy's fault, but you know, Jesus will be a contributing factor. Well, this is one of those rules of, of TV. If you let a bad guy live, then he will come back to do something horrible to you or your friends. Yes. Right. Or you put, uh, yeah, I mean, bad guys, you, you let them go in TV and movies, right? Cause that's, that's what you do. You let them go so that they can return again and, you know, wreak havoc another time. Uh, good guys, what bad guys do is put them in a situation where they assume they're going to die and then leave them alone. And that never works out. Yeah. And then, the, then the good guys will get away to, you know, wreak havoc on the bad guys another day. So, uh, yeah, I guess that's a pretty good, uh, tropey kind of, uh, situation that we're definitely in. Is this guy's going to kill Morgan? You think really Morgan's going to die? That's, that'd be, I wouldn't like to see Lenny James leave the show. 
No, I wouldn't either. And I don't know if it's going to be Morgan, but let's be honest, Jason. I could see Tara getting killed. And she was there. Yeah. I you like know? Tara, though. I love Tara. I I, she's know. fantastic. I, you know, Alana Masterson is great, but I could see Tara dying on this show. Um, and I don't want that to happen, but I could see it. I think if this guy's going to come back and kill someone, look, we've had Tara and Jesus have their moments here. You know, they've, they've come together a little bit. Um, they are at odds, but they, what I mean is by come together is they've had scenes together and their characters have gotten to know each other a bit, even though they don't agree right now. Um, that might even make it worse if something happens to Tara because Jesus insisted on letting these people live. This guy in particular, he's going to feel very bad about that. He's going to question his decision and that might change his character a great deal, which can be a good thing. You know, it could be a good thing. this is, this is a good way to, um, to make characters suffer and, and develop, <laughs> you know what I mean? But as Billy says, it's something we've seen before and you don't want to recycle plot lines so blatantly, I don't think. No, not in uh, non-daytime television. Right. If this was a soap opera that had been running for 35 years and it aired at two o'clock in the afternoon, yeah, this is a different story. Different rules, different uh, expectations. Yes. But and this- the only way I would accept Tara dying is if uh, Alana Masterson wa- was then starring in another show where she was like... Uh, I don't know, a biker who solved crimes. I could, I could get on board with that. <laughs> what? Really? Why biker who solved crimes? I, I have no idea because I haven't done that before. That's new, right? Uh, I don't she's know. in a biker biker gang, but, uh, you know, instead of committing crimes, she solves crimes. Yeah. Don't insinuate that all bike gangs are criminals, Jason. Well, I'm rewatch. I, you know how I rewatched all of Lost? Yeah. Now I'm in the middle of rewatching Sons of Anarchy. So that's why I'm thinking of uh, bikers. I don't understand how you have time to rewatch all these shows <laughs> and like watch new shows and have a one-year-old son. It's, it boggles the mind, man. I never, I've, I never go back and rewatch anything and I plan to someday, but. Multitasking. I don't watch TV like you do. When you watch TV, you watch TV. Yeah. When I watch TV, I'm doing three other things. Yeah, but, but even when you watch something for the first time that you've never seen before, how do you possibly pay attention to it well enough? Well, that I pay attention to. It depends okay. on what I'm watching, right? Because some, some shows I don't give a shit about and I'll just put on and I don't care if I catch everything. Right. And then there's other shows where, uh, like I'm watching uh, Mindhunter on uh, uh, Netflix. Netflix right now. And that is completely soaking all my attention. Like I can't even... I can't do anything. As soon as my wife starts talking, because she likes to talk through TV sometimes. <laughs> oh, man. I pause the show. Right. She's like, sorry, am I interfering with the show? And my answer is, of course not, sweetheart. I don't want to miss any of the conversation, so I'm pausing the show so I don't have to multitask uh, having a conversation with you. Uh-huh. Does, so, she, does she watch Mindhunter? Yeah, she's watching it with me. She likes it. But she just talks through it all. <laughs> well, she, she gets distracted by... You know, random thoughts of various stuff that happened at work, maybe? Various levels of importance is what you were yes, trying to say. Yeah, you know how you, you're you sitting there and you think of something and you go, oh, shit. And she just vocalizes that. Right. Well, um, I'm- More readily than I do. I've been to movies with her and I'm glad that she doesn't do that in movie theaters. She does not do that in movie theaters. That would not be good. I would not support that. She does do it when we're watching TV. Okay. 
<laughs> Fair enough. Uh, anyway, you. Uh, so yeah, uh, Alana Masterson, biker who solves crimes, or something to that effect. I, you know, as long as she does something that uh, is in a show that I would enjoy, I'm okay with it. Okay, well, don't I, do a comedy like Two Broke Girls because that shit is. I'm sorry, I don't like that show. <laughs> or you don't trust the bee in Apartment 23. Remember that show? Well, I've never seen either of them, but I've heard of them. Yeah. Exactly. So mm. as long as that shit doesn't happen, everything's fine. I want, you know, something gritty, something on, uh, you know, HBO or Showtime or uh, even AMC. I'd, you know, I'd watch it if, she, if the show was on AMC. Well, I don't want Tara to be killed off, but I have a feeling that if Jesus needs to pay the price for his decision here, he's going to lose one of his friends. And right. it could be Miss Tara. It very well could be Miss Tara. I think I think that's probably a, a solid. We need Tara to figure out what the hell happened to Heath. Well, we do need the well. Yeah, exactly. We need that to happen. She's forgotten all about him. Uh, I don't believe Heath is coming back in season eight. So, but he may be back after that. <laughs> but who knows? I think Gimple who said knows? that to that uh, said something to that effect. You know, recently. Maybe Heath will show up in uh, Fear of the Walking Dead. Maybe he's the crossover. Yeah, I suppose he could be. I don't know. But we still wouldn't know what happened to him because this show happens after Fear of the Walking Dead, right? So I still uh, won't explain. It's not, it's not like he can go from this show to Fear of the Walking Dead. No, unless there's some kind of insane jump forward in Fear. We'd have to see Heath early on, yeah. I don't think it's going to be Heath. No, it's not going to be Heath. Uh, everyone knows it's going to be Abraham. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. That'd be cool. Uh, all right, who's next? I lost track. Uh, uh, now we're on Eric in snowy Calgary. So Eric writes, uh, why are Tara slash Jesus debating anything during combat? Terry, Tara should have just shot that guy. End of story. Especially after he just tried to kill them. Every season, one character seems to have an arc around the morality of what they're doing. And it's tiring. This it's old and uninteresting at this point. Tara's awful at this point, but they're going to put her through this. But if they're going to put her through this, it's going to make her even more unbearable. So after all those things we just said about Tara, we get this email from Eric about how she's horrible. Um, I don't agree, but I do think Eric has a point. Eric and snowy Calgary. Sorry to hear that, Eric. Uh, but Calgary's known for its snow. Um, my cousin just moved there. Poor, um, poor my cousin has to deal with that now. Give your cousin a shout out. Uh, well, hi, Michelle. <laughs> That is the lamest shout out I've ever heard. Hi, Michelle. <laughs> Hi. Hi, Michelle. How are you? Well, um, I was going to say, I think Eric does have a point that every season there seems to be some character struggling with the morality of what they're doing. We've seen Rick do it. We've seen Morgan do it. Uh, we're seeing Jesus do it. I guess Tara. Is Tara doing it? Not really. <laughs> she she was the one who wanted to kill everyone. Um, but it is a bit of a recurring thing on this show. And I know that's one of the main themes of the show. Can you do what you need to do to survive? Um, and that's not just in the show. That's in the, the original comics and books and video games. Um, but they would hope I at least come up with some new and interesting ways to present that theory. But, yeah. But I don't know. It is kind of tiring. I mean, come on. You're in a battle for, uh, you know, survival of your way of life. Kill these bastards. Well, yeah. I mean, it's it can be sort of difficult to pro 
you know, be a proponent proponent of that kind of, uh, you know, mass murdering, but they're the enemy and it's a TV yeah, show. Yeah, you're in the apocalypse. And you're in the Fuck apocalypse. It. Exactly. All right. Vicky in California writes, did you notice that the guy with the tattoo, maybe it was bad makeup, had a chest that looked fake? <laughs> the entire upper torso on that guy didn't look right. I noticed it when Rick was getting the keys from the man's pocket. Please let me know if you agree. Also, there were so many people shooting at times I couldn't tell who was on the sanctuary's side. So, Vicky, first of all, uh, I didn't really notice that the guy's chest looked weird, but maybe it was a dummy and not a actual uh, actor lying there after Rick uh, beat him up and killed him. People come in all shapes and sizes. I mean, they could have a barrel-chested guy yeah. just lying there. Well, I do. You're absolutely right about that. When I get out of the shower <laughs> and I yeah. look in the mirror, and, I, and my mirror, you can only see like the top half of my body. Which is, right. which is okay. Okay, so this story is getting better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, yeah, no. So go ahead. <laughs> I, I, I can just see sort of like from my belly up and I look at myself and, and I know I have a big chest, like I have a fairly large chested guy and I'm also, you know, a little bit overweight like so many of us are. Anyways, and my arms are not exactly well-toned <laughs> muscular arms. So I yep. look at myself with my big chest and my skinny arms. I'm like, man, I'm all fucking out of proportion here. I got to do something about this. So maybe that's what this guy has. He's got like big chest and weird arms. And that's why it looked funny. Maybe your chest is so big is, is because uh, your heart just keeps growing as you get older because uh, you're so full of love that your chest has to expand to accommodate it. Well, that sounds nice and all, but I'm pretty sure if your heart gets enlarged, it's really bad for you. Yes. No, I meant metaphorically, not uh, okay. biologically, right? So yeah, I don't mean you have, you, you have an enlarged heart and your chest is expanding. Dude, get to the hospital. If that no, was I happening, that. I should probably be there right now. Yeah. Uh, but I, okay, fine. I'll go with that. <laughs> I'm just such a loving guy <laughs> that my body's expanding from all the love. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that's my only theory. All right. I think it's more likely that I just, you know... I'm a little overweight. I have a big chest to begin with. I got big shoulders and little arms. It's, I okay. look ridiculous in hockey gear because, you know, the shoulder pads make you look even bigger in the shoulders and I'm already pretty big in the shoulders. So I so look like look big, sort of like a refrigerator. Nah, like, uh, sort of a big, like big shoulders, small head, like wobbling around out there, you know? So is it like that, uh, uh, like that R2, not the R2 unit, but one of the, uh, one of the droids when they were in the Jawa? thing that just looked like a trash can that just kind of was walking around. Oh, a little bit like that yeah yeah <laughs> that should be my nickname on the ice trash can i'm open <laughs> there you go all, all right thinking. all right next we have an email from Corey in toronto Corey writes with all the shooting this episode it got me thinking i'm not sure if you guys brought this up before but how can so many random people shoot automatic weapons so well those, those things are not easy to shoot. I understand it's, it's the zombie apocalypse and all, but where did they learn to shoot this heavy artillery? They are all walking around like well-trained Marines. Well, that is a good point. And I guess they've had practice. They're, they're training. I assume that somebody trained them. I mean, Rick would have some kind of training being a police officer. Uh, Shane was also a police officer. He used to have the advanced class where he would teach people how to use firearms. Uh, we know that some training happened in Fear of the Walking Dead, but that's not this show. Mm -hmm. So it is a good question. Who trained them? 
see that's that's the thing like i know myself personally if suddenly handed one of the big weapons that these people are using i wouldn't know what to do with it you know i understand how guns work you point them at something you pull the trigger and it fires but there's more to it than that i'm sure yeah. Um, yeah, you got to deal with jams. Yeah. Like well, uh, a weapon's going to jam. What do you do? There's different types of jams. Uh, you know, how do you get out of that situation? How do you reload the damn thing? That's what I was going to say. Not even like jams or problems. I wouldn't even know how to load a gun. I I wouldn't know what to do. I, I If I tried, I'd probably do it unsafely. And even if I could figure out how to load the gun, uh, I don't know what the next step is other than point and squeeze the trigger. Yeah, which would I you don't. Know how to, would you know how to cock a weapon? Well, uh, no, probably not. I mean, I, I've seen people on movies pull the hammer back with their thumb. That must be a thing for a handgun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I for might, a, I might try that. It doesn't work for a, an automatic weapon, an automatic, or even a you know an assault rifle like these guys were carrying. Right, but then you also see um handguns that you slide a thing back and forth and it goes chunk chunk like that and then you can fire yep. it. I've seen that in movies. Yep. That's good. We are so Canadian. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, no, that's all good. You pull the hammer back. If there's a hammer, if it's a two action uh pistol, you could there's a hammer like that it's a that's more of a police weapon than uh than a civilian one. Well, maybe because those things you want to be able to, it's like a revolver or revolver. You don't need to cock it in order to shoot. Whereas your normal semi-automatic hand, handgun, you need to cock it first before you can shoot, except for, uh, the police issued ones also have a hammer because they want to be able to hold it in their holster uncocked, but still be able to pull, like take it out of the holster and pull the trigger and have it fire without having to first cock it. Okay. Right. Right. So if you see a weapon with that, with the, like a, it looks like a semi-automatic handgun and it has a little hammer on the back, that's a, that's a police style weapon. Well, no matter what, I don't know that I'd know what to do with it. And, and even if I could figure out how to cock a handgun, uh, hand me, um, an AK-47 or what do they have now? The AR-15 or whatever those yeah big, bad military guns are. Uh, I would, I wouldn't know what to do with it. I just, I wouldn't, it's not part of my universe. Yeah. There's a safety, there's a selector for semi-auto to full auto. They don't have to be full auto. Like there's a little selector. You have to know how to use that. Uh, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff you need to know. Well, and so, so they had training. So somewhere along the line, uh, Corey's right. They must have had training and they're also, uh, all experts because uh, either the weapons are magical and don't have recoil or they were all dealing with recoil in uh, fantastical ways. Right. And that's what you brought up uh, a few days ago. Um, but it's, you know, it's a point. It's a good point that Corey makes. Um, just we have to assume there's been some training or over the over the months and years that this has been going on, people have learned how to use these weapons. Maybe not well, but enough to use them in a in a fight. I guess, in, yeah, a, in a like, war. Um, but it does remind me that, you know, in the real zombie apocalypse, I would be absolutely useless because of my skinny little arms and, un, you know, zero knowledge about weapons. Oh, yeah, and they're heavy, too. Like, they're, <laughs> they're really kind of heavy. So I'd be one of those guys who'd hand it to me and I'd, my, I'd immediately get knocked over by the weight. Well, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel heavy at first, but, uh, you know, when you start carrying around a... Uh, uh, a 10 pound piece of steel and you're holding it out all the time so that uh, you can aim it. Uh, it starts to, it can be a strain. 
Oh yeah. Well, even just holding my arm out like this for too long hurts me. Yeah. I saw I saw a thing online of um, uh, waitresses doing a beer holding challenge where they have to a mug of beer and hold it straight out from their body, and yep. the, the last one to put her arm down uh, wins. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, do that with a heavy gun, and same thing. Yeah. Well, I remember when I was in uh, when I was in the reserves in basic training, like we had the uh, our, we had semi-automatic uh, weapons, and there were not these light ones that they have. This was like a full, uh, you know, big steel, uh, assault rifle and it weighed like 10 pounds, 11 ounces. So it's not, it doesn't seem like that's a whole lot, but, uh, when you're on a March, we could either carry it, uh, away from our, like holding it like a, a firearm point with the, you know, the barrel pointing down, but you couldn't rest it on your body. You had to hold it out from your body. So it was like a couple inches from your body. And so it got really tiring after a while. If you got tired of carrying it that way, the other option was to hold it over your head and carry it like that. Uh, and we'd be on a March for 20 kilometers full pack, well, uh, carrying that thing. And I was 19 years old. And in pretty goddamn good shape. And that was really, really hard to do. Well, yeah, you said a little over 10 and a half pounds, right? Yeah. Most babies are not born that heavy. And most new parents have trouble, you know, your arms get tired holding your baby. <laughs> yeah, my Jenny's better at it than I am holding Jasper. Yeah. Uh, and if you had to hold the baby out from your body, your arms would be tired in like 30 seconds. Yeah, because he'd be wiggling like a crazy person. Well, I guess guns don't wiggle, but... Yeah, still. they you know, still. They do uh they do have recoil, yeah. which is like wiggling. <laughs> as as you've said. Uh all right, we're almost done here. We have a call from Glenn in sunny England. Hi boys, it's Glenn in Sunny England. Good to have you back twice a week again. Um just wanted to quickly wade in on the um the premiere last week. Um I thought everyone was gonna be on it like a car bonnet, so I didn't bother saying anything. But no one mentioned it. I think there's some major foreshadowing going on in the first episode as to where this is going. Um, I could be completely wrong and I could be reading too much into it. But I, I, I first off, talking about how, how it all seems to be about fresh starts. We've got the brand new, where, where the Walking Dead logo has been rotting over the last eight seasons. It's now bright white again, so a new start. Of course, it's the 100th episode and they're saying this is going to be a new chapter. Um, I think showing the comparison with Rick and Carl going through the same um, motions as Rick went through in episode one, where we saw him as our hero going forward. We now see Carl doing exactly the same thing, I'm guessing, as our hero going forward. And then, so we've got the logo, we've got Carl copying Rick, and then the massive one, which no one seemed to mention which i thought was was just so blatant was michonne saying carl this is your show now this is now your show am i wrong am i reading too much into it i don't know you tell me great to have you back and um looking forward to the rest of the season and uh good to hear you guys again see you in a bit bye-bye all right, thank you, Glenn. So we had uh, Andy from Quite Chilly in the UK, and then Glenn must be in another part of the town, because yeah. another part of the country, because he's in sunny England, yeah. The, the England town. <laughs> That's right, England town. <laughs> That's a place. <laughs> um, now, there's a lot to unpack in Glenn's call here. First of all, he mentioned that 
the Walking Dead logo at the opening credits is all nice, bright, white, and clean. And it's not, or at least it isn't in the episodes that I've been watching. Now, it was all nice, bright, white, and clean in the San Diego Comic-Con trailer. And that was kind of a big deal because it had been deteriorating till then. Then they show it there. It's white. It's pristine. And you feel like, oh, it's a new beginning. It's a new start. You know, they're going back to the beginning here and starting over. And I thought maybe they would do that on the show too. But the logo on the actual opening credits is just as degraded, if not more, than it has been all along. So um, someone please confirm that in the UK broadcast of this, they're not using the white logo. Because I yeah, wonder if please. that's the case. That'd be weird. It would be really weird. Um, but that's not the main thing. I'm just wondering about that. Um, Glenn does bring up, you know, a good point that this season does in a way seem to be all about a fresh start, new beginnings. As he said, we have Carl going through the same scenes as Rick from the premiere. And then the scene he's talking about when everyone leaves Alexandria but Michonne and Carl stay behind and she says to him I'm going to stay here and help you defend this place and Carl's like what help me and she goes yeah this is your show now she literally says those words I went back <laughs> and checked yeah. and, I, and I know that's just a figure of speech you know you're running the show Jason this is your show but the f you can't ignore the fact that this is a TV show and one character just said to another character this is your show and it, is it a coincidence that that other character, in this case, I mean, Carl, has, you know, a lot of people have theorized for, theorized for a long time that The Walking Dead is actually Carl's story and his journey from a, being a child to an adult in the apocalypse. Well, I, I think it is. I think it's playful, but I think it is a coincidence that uh, Michonne says, this is your show now. I mean, if she said, uh, this is your show, The Walking Dead now, <laughs> that would not be a coincidence. But I think it's I think it's playful. I think it's a playful way of phrasing things. Um, I agree that, uh, you know, I've, I've often thought it was uh, basically The Walking Dead is Carl's backstory. But if it is Carl's backstory, we're not going to get to know that until the, you know, the whole finale of, uh, of the whole show. It's just going to be like the last 10 minutes will be, you know, flash forward 30 years to Carl being a dad and, uh, you know, having that fantasy dinner that uh, both Rick and uh, Glenn have wanted. Yeah, um, I think you're right. I'm well. I, you might be right. The, it, it's interesting. The, the Walking Dead is a backstory without uh, a front story, in a way. Without a story. It's a backstory without a story. It's a back. Yeah, that's right. And it, it's Carl's backstory for whatever comes after this show or this comic ends. And I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it. But, I, but I, you know, if if saying that this, if using the word show the way they did wasn't actually so common as, I mean, such a common way to, you know, phrase things, you're running the show, this is your show. I would, I would, I might read more into it, but I do think it's, it's interesting and I don't think it's accidental either. Yes. I don't think it's accidental, but I think it's playful and not overly meaningful. Yeah. It's not accidental, but it's not really that important. But I, in a way, I, I, I almost hope it is important. Like, 
why not? Why not do something like that? Like tell the audience exactly what you're doing without coming right out and saying it, saying it. Yeah. Well, you know, it could have been more playful by saying you're the showrunner, <laughs> you know, because of the history of the changeover in showrunners. We've had three. That's right. So that would have been fun too. But it very well could be, uh, you know, at the end of this season, everybody's dead except for Enid and Carl, and they head off into the sunset to, uh, you know, remake humanity. To take the advanced class and, and restart humanity, yeah. With Joe, Judith and uh, and Gracie. True. Well, they, yeah, they'd be a little family there. Yeah, they'd be a little family, and they'd head off into the sunset, maybe get themselves a, a covered wagon and uh, have it pulled by a team of dogs. Sounds delightful. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, thank you, Glenn, for pointing that out. I I, ne- I didn't really think about the way Michonne phrased that. And, and when I listened to Glenn's call before we recorded here, I was like, oh my God, that can't be right. I have to go back and check that out. And sure enough, Michonne says right to him, this is your show now. Pretty incredible. So That's fun. It is. All right, thank you so much to everyone who wrote and called. That's going to do it for this uh, episode of the Talking Dead podcast. I do have one final announcement here at the end. Do you remember, Jason, we used to have an 800 number, a toll-free 844 number? I sure do, Christopher. Well, I haven't brought it up on the podcast in probably over a year. Yeah. uh, And it is officially now gone dead has anybody ever called it in the last year not in a while no there was a couple of listeners who from early on who continued to use it long be uh long after most people did uh so i hope they won't be disappointed but even that said nobody's called it in months in a long time they should just email you and tell you and then you can call them (laughs) i suppose we can do that hey i want to make a comment can you call me back (laughs) no no just call them on every week and say hey do you have any uh you have any comments for the show? I got a recorder here. Uh, no, I'm okay this week. All right, thanks a lot. Have I'm gonna make. Day. I'm gonna make that your job. Yeah, make calling all our listeners, calling to see the if listeners. They have anything they need to say? Right. I mean, that would really get uh, that would boost feedback, right? Well, that that would be taking service to another level. It would be. We'd, maybe <laughs> we could hire a call center. <laughs> to well. Just, Call people. One of the reasons I, I finally canceled the 800 number is to save the money because it's not being used. There's no point in paying for it. And it wasn't crazy expensive, but it wasn't cheap either. So I figure might as well uh, get rid of that thing. So if you try to call it, if you happen to know what it is, it's not published anywhere on the internet. So it should probably just go away and fade away into nothing. Um, but if you happen to have it, I'm afraid it's not going to work anymore. So instead... Why don't you visit the website, click on send voicemail, and then you can record something right into whatever device you're on. And that is super easy and sounds better. And it gets emailed to us. Um, So uh, please update your Rolodexes. That's right. (laughs) That's right. Anyone still using 800 numbers is probably still using a Rolodex. Exactly. Uh, All right. Well, that's that. Um, you can also just, you know, if you want to send us a voice message of some kind, just record it into the voice memo app on your phone and email it to us. That's even better because it sounds amazing. And to do that, you want to send the email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. 
if you'd like to find, you know, the rest of all of our episodes are available at the website and uh, you can find us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at facebook.com slash the talking dead. I try to keep up on Facebook messages, um, but I'm not always amazing at it, but I am better at it than the Twitter. So tweet at us and I apologize if it goes unnoticed. The biggest reason is because all the people who watch AMC's Talking Dead show tweet at us too, thinking they're sending tweets to that show. So it can be a little unmanageable at times. People still use Twitter? Yeah, lots, I guess. Yeah, okay. At least the kind of people that are watching AMC's Talking Dead, apparently. Because, <laughs> man, do they tweet a lot. At, I haven't signed uh, into Twitter in over a year. Well, I will tell you that occasionally listeners do you know, tweet at our like personal Twitter accounts, which is totally fine. So you probably have some mentions in there and maybe some, uh, maybe some Twitter. tweets. All right. Let's see what's going on here. On Twitter. <laughs> well, while Jason logs into Twitter, I will just say, um, thanks everyone for tuning in. I think I might talk about Walker Stalker con Atlanta for a few minutes in the after hours today. So if you're interested in that, stick around. Otherwise that's going to do it for this week. And we will be back on Monday to talk about Season 8, Episode 3. Uh, remember, if you'd like to hear your voice on the podcast, you can read the title for us and send it my way. I try to play as many of those as I can. And, um, uh, you know, it's a fun way to, you know, hear yourself on the podcast. So I didn't look up the title of next week's episode yet. So go to Wikipedia and look at the list of episodes. It'll be there. Read the title and send it in. Okay. Now that I've rambled on about that, let's end the show for now. So um, until next time, everyone, my name is Chris. And my name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye. All right. Uh, do you want to talk about Walker Stalker Con for a few minutes? I, I do. I did not go. I don't know if you know that. No, I. I, I there. Maybe maybe you could talk about your experience. I, I could. <laughs> It'll be probably more interesting than your experience. Um, I, I mean, I know not many people listening at the end of the day were actually there, but it is a Walking Dead mostly conference and uh, it is a really fun experience. And, and I recommend going to one if you're sort of nearby one of the stops on their tour. They have them all over the States now. They're going to Germany. They're going to Australia. They go to London. So What's wrong with Canada? Come to Canada. We oh, would love to have you in Canada. I know. I know. Absolutely. Absolutely would love to have one in Canada. Good God. If they decided to do it in Montreal instead of Toronto, I would travel to Montreal to go so do I. it. That would be a nice train trip. We, we could get on a train and go to Montreal. Totally. Why not? Or take my car. <laughs> well, it's a train. I, I guess to have a car there. But usually when I go to Montreal, I take a train. All right. Well, either way, we could get there somehow. Uh, but but whatever. I, I agree. They need to come and do one in Toronto. But for now, they're still doing them south of the border only. Uh, so this was Atlanta. It's the big one. It's the original one. This is the fifth year they've been in Atlanta. And... Um, you and I went to the original one, the first one together, had a fantastic time. That yeah, was good. And I thought I only skipped year two and I went to three, four, and five, but I think I might've skipped year two and three and just went to four and five, uh, hmm. because I, there was somebody there this time who we hung out with, who said he was there in year three and he didn't think I was. So anyway, it doesn't matter, but this is year five. It was giant. The show floor felt bigger than ever. The guest list. Uh, of celebrities felt bigger than ever 
And I did more panels than I have ever done at any Walker Stalker Con. I was involved in six panels and had the opportunity to do the seventh, but to do a seventh, I mean, but it came up last minute and I had just finished my last panel of the day on Sunday. So I had this sort of, I'm done relief feeling come over me. Right. And then Jason from the Walking Dead cast comes up and he's like, hey, do you want to do this panel? Someone else is uh, bailed out. So him and I were maybe going to do it ourselves. And I'm like, oh, I don't know, man. I just I just finished. I'm not prepared. I can't just walk on stage and talk to um, Cooper Andrews, Lenny James and Kari Payton without preparing. That would be a little too intimidating for me. So, yeah. Uh, so he did it by himself and he did a fantastic job, but, um, the panels I did do though, I did the first panel of the weekend, which was Chandler Riggs and Caitlin Nacon on the big panel stage they do there. It's the same, um, uh, theater room I did last year with Chandler Riggs and Denai Guerrera. That was the biggest panel I'd ever done in terms of attendees. This one with Chandler and Caitlin, um, was about half the number of people, but that's still, a good chunk of people in the audience. And I felt like that one went really well. Um, it was fun talking with those two and they are just adorable on stage. Like she teases him constantly and he seems to take it really well, you know, and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, it was, it was fun chatting with them. I asked them about, uh, that role. Do you remember the roller skating scene last, last season? I do. Well, apparently, um, on on the episode it looked like uh it looked like caitlin was a pretty good roller skater and chandler didn't know any idea what he was doing apparently in real life it's the other way around really yeah so chandler's got some roller skating skills and caitlin's a disaster so (laughs) interesting uh lots of fans got up and asked them about their kissing scene and you know the future of carl and stuff like that so that was really fun i felt it went great um I did the panel with Jay Bonansinga, who writes the Walking Dead novels. He's now written eight of them. And the last one that came out, this this one that's just been out for a couple of weeks, is the last one in the current series. So it's wrapped up at this point, and he couldn't tell us if there will be any more Walking Dead novels to come. But he's a great... I'm sure there will be. <clears throat> well, you got to think so. But they'll, they'll, they'll be a different... Uh, group of people, different characters, maybe different locations. We don't know yet, Uh, but he's a great guy to talk to. Just super fun to hang out with. Um, So if you do go to one and he's doing a panel, I recommend going to it. He's a fascinating guy to listen to. And he does a reading from the novel and he reads his books. Like I wish he did the audio books. He reads his own books so well. Well, that's cool. So I recommend that. Um, me and Jason got up and did the panel with Melissa Hutchison, who does the voice of Clementine in the video games. How's she doing? She's doing great. And it's always fun to do her panel because I've gotten to know her a little bit. Um, you know, I feel like we are friends outside of, of the conference, the con. And, um, so it's fun to just sit there and sort of chat with your friends happens to be on stage in front of an audience. (laughs) Um, but, but also, you know, uh, we realized when we finished that panel that the three of us, the first panel we ever did was the three of us together. And so we did that way back. And now here we are in, in year five doing it again. So that was, that was kind of entertaining. That's cool. Um, but the panel that I liked the most this year was not walking dead related at all. I was co-moderating the 
Ash versus Evil Dead cast panel. And sadly, Bruce Campbell wasn't there. But if he had been, we wouldn't have been moderating it because he is his own moderator. Right. So it was with uh, Jill Marie Jones, um, Ray Santiago, who plays Pablo, Dana DiLorenzo, who plays Kelly, Ted Raimi um, was there, which is great. You know, Ted Raimi, he's on the show. Yeah. And Lee Majors. So big time, big time Lee Majors. And I felt the panel, it just went so well. I, I thought it had a really good flow. It was fun. All the guests were really good. I got to, when I do panels with Jason, he's kind of usually the the lead guy, and I'm sort of there as a backup question guy, in a way. Right. But we, but we switched it around this time. So I came out, introduced the show, introduced the panel. We went back and forth, introducing the people to the stage. So I did Jill Marie Jones, he did Dana, I did Ray, and then I got to do Lee Majors at, you know, at the end. And Nice. It just it just felt like it had a really good energy and it was fun and I thought it went really well. The people in the crowd seemed to like it. And they're such a nice group, that group. Um, you know, there was a moment in the middle of the panel where I know you don't watch the show, but I asked I started my question to Ray, who plays Pablo. You've seen the first one, right? Yeah, I I couldn't tell you You don't remember or... Pablo? No. He's kind of he's the he's the Ash sidekick character at least at the beginning no i remember that bruce campbell was in it okay anyway so i started the wasn't qu- he, didn't he work at a, like a big box store of some kind yeah yeah he works at smart shop smart shop smart okay yeah there you go maybe i should start watching this show it's instead it's, of re-watching old garbage episodes it's really good i know you had your problems with it but it's it's so funny and it's got a heart too you know i mean maybe i'm different now maybe maybe i'm i'm ready maybe i'm ready you could be. Maybe you just weren't ready before. Yeah, I just, I just and, wasn't and, ready. And frankly, give it a bit of a chance more than just one episode. Like, watch three or four and then decide to quit or not. <laughs> right. Well, I'll watch them all and then make a conclusion as okay. to whether or not I should. That's the best thing. Have. That's the best way to do it. I don't know if I should have done that. That's, yeah. you know, generally how I make decisions. <laughs> I don't Post. know if I should have done that. After the fact. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, what I wanted to say is I started a question to Ray by saying, now, it's obvious that Pablo is not the most capable character. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, he made a face and kind of a comment. The audience booed. (laughs) And I was like, no, I mean, come on. I mean, look, like Pablo, he's come a long way, which I may not have said at the time. But what I wanted to do is compare him to Kelly, who's sort of the other main character on the show now, who's extremely badass and she's awesome and she can hold her own in any fight. And my question was how their two characters, you know, being that way, why do they make such a good team, right? And so they both answered the question, but uh, it was funny just the way sort of the audience reacted and then he initially (laughs) reacted and stuff like that. Then they answered it and we moved on. It was fine. After the panel, when we were backstage, he came over to me and he shook my hand and he said, hey, I'm sorry to call you out like that on stage. And I'm like, oh man, please, please don't worry about it. Like. You know, I said to him, I didn't mean for the question to come off negative. I just wanted to kind of talk about how Pablo's evolved as a character and how he relates to the other characters. And and I said, don't worry about it. It was totally great. I thought it was a funny moment. But um, my point is just that he was so nice about it. You know, he was super cool. He came up to me afterwards. We talked for a minute and uh, they were all they were all like that. So it's wow. fun. We got a really fun picture with everybody. And now it's the 
top of my Facebook page. So cool. It was very, very fun. Oh yeah. Facebook. I haven't signed in there in a while either. Well, f- if you want to see me with, uh, the cast of Ash versus evil dead, go look at my profile page. Um, so that was awesome. Otherwise, you know, it was great to see some listeners. It was just fun to hang out with everybody every night. I think we were at the Omni hotel bar, not just at six o'clock on Saturday to meet up with listeners. Um, I met so many more people this time, just other podcasters, other people doing things um, related to the con or not. And it was just a super fun time to see everyone. I did the reading. Remember the dramatic reading with Sam Underwood? Friggin' Sam Underwood from Fear the Walking Dead was on stage with him. Uh, He's a real actor. I am not. A couple other real actors were up there doing their thing too, and they were really great. And I I got up and I had my, my one line and I think I nailed it. Good. <laughs> so I have a picture with all of us from that too. Um, uh, Lizzie from the Brains Gone Bad podcast organized that whole thing and she did a fantastic job. So a big uh, shout out. Thank you to her. And I hope we can do it again sometime because I would love to do that again, maybe with more lines. <laughs> uh, do you remember Eric? He, he goes by Mr. Blog. We met him year one. Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Somebody was supposed to play Negan, but he backed out at the last minute. So Eric stepped in to play Negan in the scene. Did a did a great job. A uh, you bang know, up job. A bang up job. Yeah, I gotta Good. say that. Um, and they had uh, they had a cosplayer there dressed up as Shiva. Oh, what a great tiger costume! Like full nice. tiger thing and like makeup and everything. So so good. So, anyways. Walker Stalker Con is fun. That's all I'm trying to say. And uh, everyone should do it if you can. And that's that's all I've got, I think. The next, next year, possibly. Yeah. The next, I mean, the next one coming up is uh, in a few weeks in New Jersey. That's the uh, December one. Next year, I'd really like to try to go to Nashville because Nashville seems like a wicked city and I want to check it out. Maybe even Philadelphia. Uh, I, you know, I know we have some listeners in that area who might come out. But Atlanta's the one, and I, I feel like I can never miss another Atlanta after this. Oh, there you go. So, all right, that's it for now. If anyone has any questions about any of that stuff, I'd be happy to answer them. Just send an email or whatever, and, and we can talk. But uh, I think that's it. We'll see you on Monday, everyone. Cool. Bye.